My name is Gino Martini. I'm the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. I'm delighted today to have uh, Dr. Brian Henry, who's Vice President for Medicinal Sciences from Pfizer. I'm also joined by my colleague, Sarah Cahill, who's one of their Clinical Research Fellows. Brian, thank you for sparing the time to come and speak to us at the RPS. How are you? Very good, thank you. And thank you for the opportunity to speak to the broader pharmacy community. Brian, it's our pleasure. Can we give our, our members a brief introduction to Pfizer? So, so Pfizer is a, a global pharmaceutical company. Um, it's headquarters in New York and employs about um, 90,000 people all around the world. In terms of the UK, we've been in the UK since the 50s, so we've sort of been here as long as the NHS itself. Uh, and really our, our function has been to make sure we... Um, deliver new medicines breakthroughs that our patients need. In the UK, we employ about two and a half thousand people. So we have our headquarters in Walton Oaks in Surrey. We have research development and supply chain facilities in Sandwich in Kent, Hurley, Cambridge uh, and Havant. In terms of the R&D side of the business, which is where I work, um, we've got about a thousand people employed in the UK in R&D and we um, spend about 200 million pounds actually uh, on R&D in the UK. We currently supply about 170 medicines and vaccines to the NHS uh, and we've got a very full and active pipeline of new medicines coming through and hopefully we'll be delivering those new uh, transformational treatments, those breakthroughs that really make a difference to our patients in the UK in the coming years and, and really the, the areas of focus at the moment are cardiomyopathy, vaccines, arthritic pain, oncology and we actually have got quite a number of gene therapy products in the pipeline as well. I, when I talk about Pfizer, I mean we talk about the drugs like Lipitor, Viagra, Diflucan and, and it looks like the vaccines, is that new territory for Pfizer? Yeah, we'll be moving to vaccines again. I'm not quite sure how long. It's, it's in the recent past. Prevnar is our, is our main vaccine uh, that makes uh, a big difference to, to patients all over the world. And, and it's that expertise now we're using to help us deliver hopefully new treatments for COVID uh, in the coming years. So Brian, you're Vice President for Medicinal Sciences at Pfizer. Could you just give our members an idea of what your role entails at Pfizer? Yeah, so I'm a pharmacist by training. I'm still a, still a registered pharmacist. I did my first degree at um, um, in University of Manchester, then did a PhD in biopharmaceutics at the University of Nottingham. Um, I worked for GSK for a few years in the area of pharmacokinetics, and I've been with Pfizer for 27 years now. Um, my role really is, is, is twofold. Uh, my day job is I, I lead the Small Molecules Drug Product Design Group, this is a global group that figures out how to make all of Pfizer's new small molecule medicines. So that's basically the tablets, capsules, injections, creams, pediatric preparations for all of our, our global products. Uh, the group split across the UK and US, um, but we have a significant presence in, in sandwich developing um, uh, tablets, uh, suspensions, pediatric products, control relief products for those new medicines coming through. Uh, I have a, a site leadership role. Uh, I lead the Medicinal Sciences Group, which is the, the UK's main scientific group. Uh, and I represent that in the UK and actually in the EU in terms of um, making sure um, our, our needs are communicated in the broader environment, a bit like, uh, a bit like we're doing today. Thank you, Brian. And I'll hand over to, to my colleague, sir. So I have some questions just regarding um, how you're looking after staff during this pandemic and how have you been kind of trying to address social distancing, working from home and generally their well-being? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And this, is, uh, this has been a big area for us. From the outset, uh, we had 
three very clear objectives. It, it, you know, it's, it's to look after the safety and health of our staff in, in uh, both on site at home, um, keep the medicines coming forward because we know our medicines are needed, and then see what we can do to develop new medicines, new therapies for COVID nineteen. So on that first one, really, uh, we, we had to um, use a lot of the government's guidance, help and advice. Uh, and you, you've got a tiered approach here. But, you know, for those that could work from home, uh, like my good self, uh, I spent the last three months working from home. So to give you a sense of the numbers, you know, we, we can typically have um, six, seven hundred people on, on the sandwich site. Over the last two to three months, we, we've been down about 150 to 200 people, which has then given us the space to allow us to work and focus on those critical activities of supplying medicines. You know, in this sense, we've got a very full and active portfolio of new medicines that, that you know, are very ser- treat very serious diseases of the future, like oncology. Uh, and so we really wanted to keep our manufacturing facilities open, making the supplies for the clinical trials around the world. And then more recently, turning our staff and our resources to developing COVID treatments. So it's really um, keeping people working from home where they can, de-densifying the group, then putting a whole series of measures uh, in place to make sure we can work safely uh, in the work environment. But, you know, more recently, we have to, you know, look after people at home as well. You know, working from home is a, is a very different environment, as I'm, I'm sure you're, you're all discovering as well. So so looking after the happiness and health of all our colleagues at home has been um, a very important thing. So focusing on um, wellness, mental health, making sure people have got the right setup at home as well has also been a very, very important area. And with that, uh, you really have to power up the communications. If you're working from home, you can feel isolated. You know, it can get draining just doing uh, video calls after video calls. So making sure people have got the, the right help and advice to, to, to work safely. It's an area I've been particularly proud of as, as Pfizer as a company. I, I think we've really looked after all of our staff very well. So we've had no colleagues been furloughed, uh, including all our contractors. Um, we even, you know, um, have special gifts and presents for people at work to thank them for for coming in. We've introduced free lunches and just and it's just a, sh- a small sign of appreciation for those folk who are having to, you know, deliver that critical work for us uh, on site. Obviously, there's a lot of clinical staff that work yeah. at Pfizer. And um, have you released any of these staff to go back to the front line? And- there's a whole range of volunteering programs where staff can go and help out either professionally or um, in the local community that we have as part of our, our normal policies. However, for this, though, we, we did actually introduce a medical service program and that would really uh, allow staff with key healthcare qualifications to go and work for the NHS for up to 13 weeks paid by Pfizer. And we've had a number of colleagues, uh, the medics, nurses, pharmacists actually take up that offer uh, and really, you know, commit to helping the NHS in the early days of, uh, of the pandemic to make sure they, they have the, the right the right starting levels to, to deliver for the, for the patients. Uh, you know, so immensely proud of those colleagues who have gone and, uh, and gone and worked um, for the NHS. Then around there, you know, we've got the local GPs and frontline community pharmacists as well. And, and we've had a number of people volunteering and, and helping out there. In addition to the um, non-medically trained staff, uh, a lot of Pfizer colleagues signed up for the various volunteering programs. And again, we allow colleagues up to five paid um, days leave to go and volunteer in the local community 
and I know a number of those colleagues have been called up to to help out, um, you know, support people in the local settings. There was actually in the very early days this a sort of clamour of, of people wanting to know what they could do to help, uh, and then as a company we we, we set in, in place those policies and practices that, so they didn't have to worry about this. In Wales, we, we had um, one of our field colleagues, a pharmacist, worked with chief pharmaceutical officers uh, in Wales uh, to develop a medicines delivery scheme for for vulnerable shielding patients at home and built uh, work with the local pharmacists and hospitals to help construct a home delivery service uh, to make sure that those vulnerable patients got their medicines. And uh, I think so far that's delivered about 90,000 prescriptions to, to patients in, in the home setting in, in Wales. And, and that scheme's looking to be rolled out elsewhere in, in the UK. So that's a sort of real example of, of how a colleague who's dedicated, motivated, has got, has got some perhaps some additional skills from their Pfizer career that they could use in the community practice as well. That's really interesting and also shows the sustainability of, of keeping those positive changes during a challenging time. Yes, yeah, absolutely. As you know, I'm an ex-industrial pharmacist. Well, I, I class myself as an industrial pharmacist. I work with GSK, uh, Roche and, and Shire. Is that the fact that we know that this dreadful disease up to about literally two days ago, there was no real effective treatment. You know, it was supportive care. Um, and, and so, of course, it really brings into focus the importance of the pharmaceutical industry. And that's the reasons why we've been talking to different uh, organizations uh, such as yourself. So the meat of the interview now is understanding, you know, what, what's, what's Pfizer's response been to the COVID-19 pandemic from a drug discovery development point of view? Very early on, we came out with um, uh, a very public and very open five-point plan to make sure we um, did our bit to contribute to society around the world in in, in the face of the pandemic. So we've really been looking at uh, a number of therapeutic opportunities to help here. Uh, You've got developing vaccines for prevention You've then got uh, antiviral treatments uh, to actually um, slow the virus down in the body to give the body a chance to fight back and recover. And then you've got the more supportive therapies in terms of when patients are very ill, what what can you do to understand whether they've got a therapeutic place in in, in maybe the more uh, acute clinical setting? And and we saw uh, the amazing data with dexamethasone. Um, uh, this week in the UK, showing that um, you know you, you can repurpose and, and find new niches for, for your medicines. So really, we, we've been atta- tackling it on, on, on all those uh, three or four different levels of the whole disease cycle: vaccines to prevent, developing antivirals to hopefully slow down uh, the virus in the body to give it a chance to recover, and then developing um, you know how can we uh, use our medicines from very simple things like azithromycin, which is widely used in the clinical setting making sure it's available and can be dosed to patients via nasogastric tubes. Uh, We've got a very active uh, immunotherapy portfolio as well. So again, there's a clinical setting for some of those drugs as well to treat those patients at the uh, the latter stages when they're they're actually very, very ill in a very uh, poorly state in the hospital setting. So multi-stranded and focused in a whole variety of areas. And you're seeing this in the broader industry, isn't it? I think this is what we're going to have to do to get on top of this. There won't be a simple solution. We're going to have to come at this from a number of different angles. So obviously you've got a a multi-pronged approach. Yeah. Uh, Which one do you think will get to the market quicker? The two most advanced really are, are our, va- our vaccine, uh, which has just started uh, early clinical safety studies, and we've actually got an antiviral treatment. So, oh, very early on, about four months ago, we signed a deal with a German biotech company, well, actually called BioNTech. Um, they have an RNA vaccine approach, 
And again, part of what we've been doing as the industry is working with, with partners, you know, so you've got companies with very good approaches to developing vaccines and you've got companies like Pfizer who are very good at developing and have got the the, the manufacturing critical mass and size to really accelerate the, the development of those programs into the clinical setting to understand where they are and then in, then to scale up and get out into patients. So the, that vaccine started dosing in Germany possibly four weeks ago and then started dosing in the US maybe three weeks ago, a week or two later. These are very early phase one safety studies. From where we started, you know, less than four months to be into those very first patient safety studies is quite remarkable and shows how we can, as an industry, when we organise ourselves, move very quickly. You've got the best of working with smaller companies, larger companies coming together as a partnership to make that happen. It's early days, you know, uh, there's a lot to learn about vaccines. There's a new virus uh, and the RNA approach is, is, is at the more novel end. In fact, we have four different RNA vaccine approaches in these studies. So it's not just one vaccine, it's actually four similar ways of delivering the vaccine in, in this one study. Uh, and really where we are now is, is scaling up. Uh, we're assuming success. We're assuming the vaccine will, will offer our patients protection, we hope. Uh, and so we're, we're gearing up now to deliver uh, many millions of vaccines towards the end of this year to really scale up and, and then see how the vaccine works in that real world setting. And then really it will be uh, filing and launching end of next year where you are talking of hundreds of millions of doses for um, end of next year going into 21. So great progress there. We're very optimistic. Uh, we'll find a safe, effective vaccine. As you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of things you need to uh, pass first to prove it's safe, it's effective, and then we can accelerate that manufacturing scale up to get that to that level of supplies for the world in, in this sort of um, time frame. It's a totally unprecedented speed we're, we're moving at. In terms of the antiviral treatment, uh, we developed a treatment for SARS back in 2003. It was a, a COVID virus, but we had a drug there we developed for that. It never got out of research phase. It never got into the clinic. But once we got the, um, the, the gene sequence for the virus, it became pretty apparent that the drug we had back in 2003 would be a very, very good protease inhibitor for, for COVID-19 as well. And so we set about a program to get that uh, moving forward. So from almost those computational, will this work, to proving it works in test tubes uh, and in various in vitro screens against a variety of different uh, isolated cell-based assays, to now where we are, we're looking to get that into the clinic in third quarter, sort of September, uh, August time. Uh, and that will be a, a parenteral infusion. It will be used in the acute hospital setting. And the aim of that one really is to, um, you know, slow down the replication of the virus to give the body a chance to fight back in, the, in those uh, patients in the, perhaps the, the mid stages of, of, of the acute treatment in the hospital setting. So, again, you think about that from no supplies, uh, a computational hit that said this could work to actually looking at the safety of your medicine in, in volunteers and then seriously all patients uh, in the back end of the summer is just remarkable. And, uh, you know, in my sort of um, 20, 30 years working in the industry, we've never moved this fast for either the vaccine approach or the small molecule approach to uh, as a protease inhibitor. It's absolutely remarkable, just an example of what, we, what the pharmaceutical yeah. industry can do. And without the industry support and, and novel medicines, we'd be in serious trouble. Yeah. And on behalf of the office, I'd like to thank the pharma industry and, and Pfizer in particular in this case for all your hard work in, in trying to find a, a treatment. Did you ever think or imagine in your career so far that pharma companies would work in partnership to coordinate such a joint up response? 
you know, the pharma industry is, you know, has a, has a reputation for, you know, its commercial drivers and things like that, which, um, you know, some of us feel is, is a touch unfair sometimes in, in the public space. We've always had a view that you need a community of, of different people, skill sets, companies, academic, NHS, patients to come together, really. You know, we've always looked outside of the company, worked with partners to find great breakthrough therapeutic targets. Um, we always work with supply chains and, and external suppliers and things like that. So we, we do have a track record of, um, of working collaboratively and getting the whole life sciences eco community to deliver these new medicines for our patients. However, what we have seen is this change in focus and a change in emphasis. And for us as a company, it started very early on with Albert Borler, our, our, our CEO, going out very publicly with our five-point plan. And the five-point plan was very much about sharing our information, marshalling our people, marshalling our resources, offering our facilities and approach to, to smaller companies and seeing then what we can do to really accelerate that sort of collective effort to to um, you know to, to get these new therapies moving this fast, and, and it's not Pfizer. I, I think you've seen this across the whole industry. If you look what AstraZeneca are doing with Oxford Bio, what GSK are doing, if you look at all the companies have been doing here, it is it, a very concerted cross-company effort. Where you've got the academics, the small companies, the large companies, the supply chain, the CMOs. Uh, and then, you know, partners like the NHS and the regulators to really facilitate getting those medicines safely out there. And, and like I say, I, I don't think we've seen such a coordinated, open innovation response, you know, to, 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 to rise to what, what is in essence a, a very, very serious global crisis. Uh, it's interesting hearing Bill Gates the other day on the BBC, you know, he, he was saying that, you know, that this is the pharma industry performing at its absolute best. And uh, I, I think he's hit the nail on the head there. But it needs it all to come together. It's the pharma industry, the small companies, the academics, the, the, say the NHS people running trials and then the regulators all around the world all need to come together to really hit those accelerated timelines we talked about earlier. Obviously, there's been concerns about drug supply chains. Yeah. Um, how has Pfizer been able to cope with the supply demands? Yeah, I mean, that's... Uh... That, that, that's a big area for us. I mean, you know, in fact, that's actually proven to be for all the companies working in this area. How do you scale up and how do you uh, how do you get these medicines there quickly? So, so in some degree, the supply chain is is probably what's standing between all these great scientific ideas and uh, the treatments out there. Uh, and this is very much what we we work on at uh, Sandwich in the UK is developing clinical trial supplies to get these medicines into these trials and then to figure out how we scale up. If you, if you look at the vaccines area, you know, uh, as a company, uh, if you look at biologics and vaccines, you know, we've got about 7,000 colleagues uh, around the world, 12 manufacturing facilities. And, you know, we, we on average, in an average year, produce one and a half billion sterile injectable products for treatments all around the world in a whole variety of areas and really what we've been doing is looking at how do you repurpose that and scale that up to get to uh, like i say you know millions of vaccines by the end of this year to hundreds of millions of vaccines by by next year to really um, make sure uh, the vaccine is successful and it's that supply chain turnaround and that focus and energy and commitment up front before you know whether the drug or the vaccine is actually going to work 
is really the strength of of smaller companies working with larger companies like Pfizer to to to, to get it there. You know, and, and again, we've got an external supply chain as well. So we're, we're, we're you know, making sure the medicines are available all around the world. It's going to be using parts of the external supply chain as well. I don't think we've ever scaled up this fast, this quickly. Uh, to go from thousands of doses to start um, phase one study to the, the millions of doses to really scale that up and, and get real world setting data out in, the, out in the clinic to then thinking about how you can support countries with the national vaccine programs next year is uh, you know it's quite remarkable but it's uh, it's the scale of a company like Pfizer and uh, our deep pockets our staff and the, the focus of the leadership to really gear and, and direct the whole organization to, to to make this happen this quickly do you think this is something that you might continue moving at, uh, continuing to work at this pace? If you look actually how we've transformed how we worked as an industry over the last 10 years, you know, for drugs like uh, an oncology drug now, uh, we've asked for a very focused, patient-centric, targeted approach now. You, 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 you get a, a, an oncology drug and you, you find out it works in patients, very ill cancer patients, very quickly. And you then know you're up against saving lives. So if you look at the transformation in the industry over the last four or five years now, where, where, where companies like Pfizer and, and other companies are typically developing and getting out new oncology therapies in, you know, in, in that sort of three to four year time frame, I think we've seen um, all drugs aren't equal. All drugs don't develop at the same pace. And if you know your drug is uh, as a real breakthrough to, to therapy for those patients, you know, you're obliged to get there as quickly as possible. So I think what we're now doing is seeing this on steroids. You know, we, 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 we're, uh, we, we know how to develop drugs fast for the right case. And we, we've been doing that very successfully over the last four or five years. Uh, I think we will reflect what have we learned, actually? What have we learned about uh, how we manage the vaccine program, our own internal NCE program, and what's the best of that can we take going forward? A lot of that could sit down in, in actually uh, management and decision-making processes, you know. So simple things like that are just a, a change in mindset that we can take forward through to um, maybe we'll learn a lot how we prioritise our manufacturing facilities to accelerate drug development as well. Thank you. That was really, really interesting. Thank you, Brian. And on behalf of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, thank you for your time and having some fascinating insight. Uh, like I say, I'm immensely proud of what the company is doing and immensely proud of what all our staff are doing. And, you know, ultimately, uh, we know the science will win and uh, we will get on top of this pandemic and uh, we will come up with these treatments to uh, get society back to where it wants to be in as quickly as possible. So, like I say, just a big, big thank you to uh, all the Pfizer colleagues and all our partners we're working with around the world to get these therapies out there and it's, uh, it's been a real pleasure just to speak on their behalf thank you very much